Well, let me just begin by saying good morning again and welcome to worship, but now not only to those of you who are here in our contemporary worship service, but welcome also especially to those of you who are joining us in the traditional sanctuary right now. I'm really glad that you're here. I'm glad that we're all together as one church family, learning from God's Word together and moving in one direction together. And speaking of learning from God's Word together, I want you to be able to follow along in the Bible with the Bible passages that we're going to learn together from today. So if you don't have a Bible with you, please feel free to borrow one. Our ushers are going to come up the aisles in both of our worship venues, and you can just use one of the ones they've got and just stick it on the shelf in the back of both of our worship venues after the worship service today. The Bible passage that we're going to be learning from today and the, and the series that we're starting together for this fall season today is something that I've been looking forward to for at least a half a year already now and probably a little more than that. We're going to be reading a passage together from the Gospel of Matthew, the first story of Jesus' life in the New Testament, that includes the words of Jesus that are called the Sermon on the Mount. And by the way, if you ever want to find the Sermon on the Mount in the Bible, it's in Matthew 5 through 7. And all of our staff people today are wearing shirts that say 5-7 on them. Maybe you thought it was Heinz 57 sauce, but this is really Matthew 5 through 7. So you can find it there. And these chapters include what's, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It is Jesus' articulation, his description, his vision of human life, the way that God always meant for it to be lived. And these words that are contained in the Sermon on the Mount have historically been some of the most powerful, some of the most influential, some of the most world-changing words ever spoken. I think you could say that these words are Jesus' vision of the good life, which is the name of the series we're going to be sharing in here in this fall season. You know, when I think back in my life, I can remember the first time, or at least it's the earliest memory that I have of this, I can remember the very first time that I began to dream about or wish for a better life, what I thought the good life might be. And I remember that I, was, I had to be right about 11 years old, because I was kind of just coming into middle school. And I, you know, middle school comes with pressure, right? You got peer pressure and performance pressure. You got bigger assignments you used to have, responsibilities. And I don't mind telling you that I didn't like that. I didn't feel very good to me. And I wished that middle school could be over. <laughs> and probably like every kid in middle school sometimes wishes middle school could be over. But then I thought, wow, if middle school were over, then I would have to go to high school. That's probably worse than this. So I don't want to wish for high school. After high school, that probably means college. So that's going to be even more responsibility. I should have to write like really big assignments for that. But I can't just wish for college to be over, be out of school, because then I'm going to have to have a job. And then like, I don't even get summers off anymore. I'll have to like, earn a living and pay bills. Right? Like, I'm like 11 years old. I'm a little ahead of myself, don't you think? But anyway, I knew that was no good. So I'm sitting with my mom. And my mom and, all, my mom and I always kind of got each other. And so she was talking to me about this. And I said to my mom, I said, Mom, I wish I was retired. <laughs> and she laughed in my face too. I remember this very day. I was like, not, I'm not even in puberty yet. I'm already looking forward to the rocking chair or somewhere. That was my dream of the good life. It's pretty messed up, but once upon a time, that was my dream of the good life. I bet you have a dream of a better life. I think we all have dreams of the good life. And maybe you know what they are. Maybe you can describe them and maybe you're aiming for it. Maybe it operates a little more under the surface and you don't think about it very much. But I think all of us have dreams of a life that we would call the good life. And maybe for you, it involves family in some way. Maybe family is a big, big part of your picture of the good life. If your family is healthy and happy and hopefully somewhere nearby, life is good for you. Maybe for you, if you picture the good life, the good life for you involves some measure of financial success or security. I'd probably guess most of us are on that spectrum somewhere. 
Maybe you're a real driven person and the good life involves some significant level of achievement, maybe educational status, maybe accomplishment. You can say, I made my mark, now I'm living the good life. Maybe your vision of the good life involves a piece of property in a hammock up north somewhere where you can finally kick back and enjoy the good life that you worked so hard for. I've got a friend here in the Twin Cities who lives down in the South Metro in the, in the housing development that he lives in. He told me once there's a sign at both entrances to the development as you drive in right there by the side of the road. It says, the good life here. <laughs> the good life here. It's a very smart marketing person behind that sign somewhere who knows how to sell dreams, right? So maybe your vision of the good life sounds like one of these things. Maybe it's pretty different from that. But I know one thing is true of all of us. All of us are moving in the direction of our dreams. Now, maybe not very quickly, and maybe not along a straight path, but our vision of the life that we think is the good life influences the way that we think and the way that we act and the decisions that we try to make, and we move in the direction of our dreams or our vision of the good life. And the reason that we do that is because this vision or this dream is a promise. It makes us a promise. It promises us happiness or peace or joy or blessing. And it is just fundamentally true of human beings that we move in the direction of the promise we believe. We move naturally in the direction of the promise we believe. The problem for us is that we very easily believe empty promises. We are very vulnerable to empty promises. Right? I mean, my friend lives in a housing development that says, hey, the good life is here. You can stop chasing it. <laughs> you don't have to wonder where it is. You don't have to ask yourself, can I find it or not? You've already arrived. And yet we all know that inside those houses are just as many struggling marriages and conflicted families and broken hearts and lost jobs and shattered dreams as in every other house, everywhere else. Even where there's a sign saying you found it, it's still an empty promise. And we move in the direction of the promises we believe. And right here, I think, is where the Sermon on the Mount starts. It's right here that Jesus begins speaking to our dreams of the good life. And he begins to articulate some dreams and some promises of the good life that gets us to ask, what promises are, is it that we actually believe? What are those? Here, I want to show you what I'm talking about. If you have a Bible with you, open it up with me. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. And if you have a Quest Bible, that's on page 1416. If you're trying to find it, it's about two-thirds or three-quarters of the way through the Bible. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. And the Sermon on the Mount starts in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. And the first about five or ten verses of the Sermon on the Mount is a section that has traditionally been called the Beatitudes. And it's called that because they all start with the same word. So just look at this here with me. I just want to give you a couple examples. It says here in the Beatitudes, Jesus' words are, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We skip ahead a little bit, maybe down verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Every single verse here starts with the word blessed. And Jesus is getting us to ask, he wants us to ask, what is it to be blessed? What does it really mean to be blessed? Let me ask you that question. What do you think it means to be blessed? There are other translations, there are other translations of this word that translate that other ways. Other translations say happy, like happy are those who. Some say fortunate. Some say joyful. That's one of my favorites, actually. I've seen one that says lucky. Actually, lucky are those who. So let me just ask you, who would you look at and you could say about that person, man, that guy is blessed. Who would you look at and say, wow, she lucked out. I would love to be living that life. Who would you say that about? 
I would guess it's probably somebody who's living something that's close to your vision of the good life. But then Jesus, here in this section, he says, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the persecuted, blessed are the poor and the dependent. That doesn't really match the way that we were thinking. So what exactly is it that Jesus is thinking here? Well, here, as always, Jesus is thinking about the kingdom of God. From the very beginning, from the time he opened his mouth to begin teaching and preaching, actually in the chapter right before this in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus begins saying, the kingdom of God has come near. God is planting, creating a new world, a new way of being human, a new kind of human community, a new life, a new way of life, and he's doing it in me. As I come near, the kingdom of God has come near. And Jesus often says, repent, turn your life around, move toward this promise of the good life. And that means that as Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing is he's articulating, this is Jesus' fullest description of what does the kingdom of God look like as it begins to take shape here on earth, here in our lives. This is Jesus' fullest description of that, and that makes it also a promise. It's a promise. But it's not the kind of promise that we're usually used to. Most of the promises of the good life that we are accustomed to are driven by us, right? If you just try harder and you make the right decisions, you do the right things, you'll experience a better life. If you change your diet or change your job or change your budget or whatever, you'll experience a better life, the good life. And maybe those are all changes that some of us need to make. Nothing wrong with that. But Jesus is talking about something way, way deeper than that. He's making a promise way, way more powerful than that. I've heard it said, and I think it's very helpful. When Jesus tells us these things, he's not just saying try harder at this or that other thing. Jesus doesn't say try harder. He says, come closer. Come closer to me and see how good life in the kingdom can actually be. The life that God is creating. He says, this is what it looks like. Come close to it. Let me give you some specific, concrete examples here. So if you still have your Bibles open or open them back up if you got them, we're going to stay right here on this page, Matthew chapter 5. It's 14, 16 in your Quest Bibles. We're just going to look at a few of these verses quickly. The first one, the very first verse in these Beatitudes is Matthew 5, 3. And Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, let's talk about that for a second. In Jesus' language, the word poor, to be poor means to experience a measure of dependence. It means to find out that you're dependent. Maybe you find out that you're dependent on a certain set of circumstances that have gone well or not gone well. Maybe you find out that at least in a, for a period of time you're dependent on the help of others, dependent in some way. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And to be poor in spirit is not really different than that. To be poor in spirit as a disciple of Jesus in the kingdom of God, is to learn, to experience, to know in your bones that you are dependent on God. Now, we spend most of our lives trying to be independent. That's, that's what we want to do. We don't want to depend on other people. I think being independent is a big part of most of our visions of the good life. And so this is pretty counterintuitive for us. And because it's so counterintuitive for us, it takes practice for us, not only to begin to live in the value of it, but even to understand what it means to wrap our heads and our hearts around it. So here at First Lutheran, one way that we practice being poor in spirit is we practice it in our worship life, right? Our mission is to be and make disciples of Jesus, as these very clever fellows in the cartoons have been telling us. And we do that, we, practice, we invest our energies in three environments, worship, groups, and service. And in worship in particular, we practice poverty of spirit, 
So, for example, in our traditional worship services, we begin all of our traditional worship services with a, a practice or an order of confession and forgiveness. So right there in the beginning movement of the service, we always take an opportunity together to say to God, God, we know that we're not okay. We know that we're broken. We know that we're sinful. We know that we're powerless to change ourselves fundamentally at the heart level. And we cast ourselves on the grace and mercy of God. And then in that same order and practice, we are always reminded of the grace and forgiveness of God by which we live and that it is rock solid and unshakable. And in contemporary worship, we do it in a different way. We do it in a different way every week, as a matter of fact. But we aim for the same content. Today, our opening song said, it's all because of Jesus that I'm alive. And we talked in that song about our own sinfulness and the need for the sacrifice of Jesus, that it's only because of him that we receive life. We didn't make life on our own. We know that it's God who's been so, so good to us. We do it differently, but we do the same thing. We practice our dependence on God. I think one of the reasons it's so important for us is because we finally get to come to a place where we can tell the truth, where we can be set free from the lie that we tell ourselves and we tell each other every day, over and over again. Every time somebody asks, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm so fine. People, we are so not fine, right? We've got to have a place in our lives where we can come together and live in truth and say, I'm not fine, but you're no more fine than I am. But we are made fine. We are made okay by the unshakable grace of God in Jesus Christ. And thank God that it does not depend on my fluctuating, vacillating powerlessness, but rather it depends on the unshakable grace and power of God. And Jesus says, this is how the kingdom of God works. And as you draw near to me, as you come closer to me, you experience this and you experience blessing in the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. Let's take a look at the next one here, Matthew Chapter 5, verse 4, the very next verse, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. And I just want to acknowledge that right now, some of us who are gathered for worship in this church family are in an experience of mourning. You're at a place of mourning right now, and this beatitude, this verse is speaking into your life right where you are. But not in such a way as, as to trivialize your pain. Not in such a way as to say, oh, wow, good for you. Mourning's good for you, like taking your vitamins or something. Glad you're mourning. Rather, Jesus says that in the miraculous inbreaking of the kingdom of God, by the power and the grace and the spirit of God, we can experience the joy and the blessing of God even right there in the midst of mourning. One reason for this, part of the reason for this, I think is simply the power of God over death. That the, the guy who said, blessed are those who mourn, a couple of years later, walked out of his own grave and brought all kinds of comfort and joy to those who were mourning for him. And so one reason that disciples of Jesus in the kingdom of God can be comforted and considered to be blessed in their mourning is that we do not mourn as those who have no hope, but we mourn as those who know the eternal victory of God in Jesus Christ over death and know the eternal hope for our own lives also. I think part of the reason Jesus can say blessed are those who mourn is because in the kingdom of God, we know the power of God over death. But I think there's another side to this also. It's not just the power of God in the future, but it's also the people of God in the present. See, the, the kingdom of God is, is a community experience. Discipleship to Jesus is a community experience. It's not something that's meant really to be done alone. And that means that a lot of the mourning that we find ourselves doing is not really only our mourning. A lot of the mourning that we do is co-mourning. So on the one hand, perhaps it's mourning that has started with us and we've shared it with others. 
On the other hand, very, very often, it's the mourning of others that they have shared with us. And in Christian community, just as joys are multiplied, so also in community, sorrows are divided. I think it's one of the reasons the Bible says elsewhere in the book of Romans, it teaches Christians, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So here together, we apply this to our lives here in this church family. We gather together not only in large groups like this for worship, but also in smaller environments called community groups. And it's in community groups we gather there so that over time, we can build the kind of kingdom friendships, the kinds of bonds of brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ that allows us deeply to co-rejoice and co-mourn with one another and to experience the blessing that Jesus talks about as being part and parcel of the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, he said, for they will be comforted. The kingdom of God is coming among us, in us, here in this community. One more example. We skip ahead a few verses. Let's do this one we mentioned earlier, Matthew 5, 9. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's tough to talk about peace right now, isn't it? We do not live in a world at peace. we got chemical weapons, counterattacks, conflicted nations. could list off the name of one nation after another, one region after another. We could count back in history as far as any of us could remember. We do not live in a world at peace. And neither did Jesus. And yet Jesus said, blessed are those who make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. He said they are experiencing the blessing of the in-breaking kingdom of God. Now, when Jesus was talking about peace, Jesus not only encouraged nonviolence among his followers. Jesus not only discouraged his disciples, those who would learn life in his way, he not only discouraged them from taking up the sword to bring about the kingdom of God, but he was talking about a peace that was even more full-bodied and multi-sided than that. The word for peace that Jesus would have known, the Hebrew or Aramaic word for peace is a word maybe some of you have heard before. The word is called shalom. And the word shalom describes a peace that means more than the absence of war or violent conflict. Shalom describes a kind of wholeness, a kind of integrated harmony in society, in our relationships with one another, in our relationship with God. And Jesus says, blessed are those who bring this about. Blessed are those who participate with God as the kingdom of God comes, who are the peacemakers, the shalom bringers in our world. And we try to practice this and apply this in our lives together also, right? We want to see the peace, the wholeness, the harmony, the shalom of God come in our worship lives, in our community groups. But we also really strive for this, especially in our service partnerships. We want to be peacemakers, shalom bringers. We try to bring peace into the anxiety of individuals and communities in Haiti through our partnership with Mission of Hope in Haiti. We try to bring peace. We try to be shalom makers into the instability and the insecurity of homeless families and homeless children here in Ramsey County through our partnership with our Operation Home Ministry partners. We try to raise the overall level of shalom. We're trying to move the shalom needle up right here in our own neighborhood, right around this church building where we gather for worship through our Operation Neighborhood Ministry activities. We try to build up the relationships we have with one another, create peace and joy together in the volunteering that we do where we serve one another, very often right here in this building or in one another's homes. We try to participate in the peace that God is making because we believe that God is making it. We want to be in on what he's already doing. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they will be called children of God. They're growing up into the image of God, chips off the old block. And we experience the blessing of making peace with God, even when the ways of this world are working against it. You know, in the course of this fall season, over the coming weeks, we're going to continue to read through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And as we do that, as we work our way through this powerful teaching, this description that Jesus has stored up for us here, all of us are going to move. We're all going to move in the direction of something. We're going to move maybe indirectly by fits and starts, but we're going to think and make decisions to act to move in the direction of our vision of the good life. I'd like to ask you, invite you over the course of this series to treat this series as a journey to treat this series as an opportunity to take steps away from the empty promises that we are so prone and tempted to chase and take steps instead toward the promise that Jesus makes of the good life that is real. And I'd like to invite you to do this in a couple ways. The first steps that I think that we could take together, first one I'd like to invite you to take is just to let these words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, let them into your head, let them into your heart, and let them work on you. I'd like to invite you to read the Sermon on the Mount from the Bible in between Sundays in your life. And I don't care how quickly you read, how slowly you read, how many times you read, but if you want any help finding it, remember, right, Matthew 5 through 7, you can find it there. If you'd like to read it one section at a time each week, we've got a, a daily reading guide and a community group study guide that's in the worship bulletin. We want to equi equip you for life with Christ, so you can use that to read section by section every week. It's always there. Or maybe you're thinking, you know, I could probably move through more often and more quickly than that. You want to read the whole Sermon on the Mount every week? I say go for it. That'd be great. I know people who have made it the practice of their lives to read this every single day. Maybe that's a challenge you want to take on. A few months ago in preparation for this series, I decided that I would go ahead and commit the whole Sermon on the Mount to memory. So I memorized this because I wanted these words to be hidden away in my heart and my mind. And I've heard from two other people since then, actually, that they've started doing the same thing. And maybe that's a challenge that some of you want to take up. And, and if you do, let me know. I'd love to know that you were doing that also. But it doesn't really matter how fast, how slow, what you memorize, what you read in here. But I would invite you to let these words into your head Learn them. Let them rattle around inside your head. Let them into your heart. I think the more that we do that, I think the more that they will help us see how empty are the empty promises, the other visions of life that we often move toward. And I think that more and more and more naturally, we will come closer to Jesus. We will begin to move toward his vision of life. The other first steps that I'd like to invite you to make here as part of this journey that we can take together is simply to participate in the practices that we share together as a church family in worship and groups and service. All of you here are here in worship right now, so that's already one step, and I think that's great. I love being together, and it's valuable. I think God wants to work in our lives here in this environment. And if you're here today, but it's not a habit in your life to make a priority of weekly worship, I'd like to invite you to make that priority, at least for this fall season, because I think that God wants to work in your life. I think he wants to work in all of our lives through these words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. I think he wants to create his life in us. I invite you to make that a priority. I'd also invite you to participate in a community group, and many, many of you already are. So just engage with the lives of the people that you're sharing life with already. Many of you are also still looking for a community group or haven't found one yet, and I'd love to invite you to sign up for that or get together with some friends and start one. You can use your Connect card or talk to the reception desk or email somebody on staff. We'll do whatever we can to help you get connected to a community group. We've got a big sign-up for that next week also. 
I'd also like to invite you to get involved in some of our service opportunities to be peacemakers, to be shalom bringers in the world. Maybe in one of our partnerships that you're hearing about this morning with Haiti, Home, and Hood, or something else. Maybe it's some other service opportunity that you have coming up in your life, in your neighborhood, in the place where you work. But I invite you to participate in the service opportunities that God puts in front of you. Over the course of this week, all of us are going to move. We're all going to move somewhere this week. We're going to move somewhere this month. We're going to move somewhere the course of the season. Maybe inching along, maybe moving quite rapidly. And can you imagine what would happen? Can I just invite you to dream for a second? And imagine what would happen if, instead of moving toward the empty promises that capture the imaginations of so many people in our world, our own imaginations included, what if during this season we could see through them and see the emptiness of empty promises and the solidity and the truth and the joy of the promise that Jesus makes. And what if we began to move toward the promise of Jesus and the character of Jesus and the peace and the blessing of the kingdom of God? What if that happened to us as a people together? All of us who are seated here at this service and in the previous hour, in the seats, in the pews, and everybody who's not here this week but will be back next week, can you imagine what would happen in our homes in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in the very neighborhood where we gathered right now, I'm just about crazy enough to believe it could happen. But only if we pray for it, only by the power of God. So let's pray together. Good and gracious God, we want the life that you have made. We are your creatures. You know how it works. And God, I pray, we pray, that you would pry our fingers free off the empty dreams that we cling to and that you would disabuse our hearts and our minds and our imaginations of these dreams that we concoct. And God, instead, fill us with the vision of life that Jesus came to live for us and to show us and to give us. God, I pray all throughout this fall season that you would fill us with your spirit, not so that we would just try harder, but so that we could come closer to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.